Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, so today is Rogation Sunday, um, and that comes from a Latin word that means prayer or asking. And that's based on our Lord's statement in the beginning of the traditional gospel reading for this Sunday uh, from John 16, 23 and following. You can find that on page 176, although we're only we're not going to hang out in that particular passage. So don't turn there if you want, but it's not a big deal. But this is what our Lord says. He says, whatsoever ye shall ask the father in my name, that will he give you. And so Rogation Sunday, this Sunday of prayer or asking comes Uh, from that first verse. Sometimes we forget that our English word for pray has its roots in an older usage of English that simply means to ask, right? Think about in Shakespeare when they say uh, privy or or, or, or pray tell, or you might see this at Renaissance fests, that kind of thing, which simply means um, please tell or or I ask you, right? So even though we've kind of dressed it up with certain religious language, at its root, prayer is simply asking God for what we need. So today begins this mini season of the church year, Rogation Tide, a season that only lasts for four days, today through Wednesday. And Rogation Tide is this period that traditionally has been set aside for prayer, and especially prayer for God's provision through the coming year. So that's often marked by vesting the church in purple on Monday through Wednesday of of this week. Um, We will uh, uh, traditionally, um, we we would do a, a procession around the church with prayers and the litany and psalms and that sort of thing. Especially the tradition is to beat the bounds uh, the English tradition, where you go through the bounds of the parish. Remember, of course, that um, the parish is that geographic area that the church serves, not just the physical um, building itself. We call this our parish, but really our parish is, is a lot larger than that. Think, of course, um, how in Louisiana they don't have counties, they have parishes, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and, and, and the reason why this becomes part of the Rogation Tide tradition is that rog- the Rogation days mark the beginning of spring. And so we're going to pray especially for good agriculture at this time, for our crops, Now, that's a little weird for us sometimes because we're all generally urban or suburban folk. But remember that our prayer book is essentially a very earthy, um, incarnational tradition. Um, Being tied to the land is an important part of the prayer book tradition, even though our personal experience may be a bit removed from that. That's where we get our Old Testament lesson from the end of Ezekiel the lesson that was assigned for morning prayer this Sunday. It speaks of God healing the land and blessing it. Now, contextually, the prophet is describing blessings that are promised for the world to come. When God sets everything to rights and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ has been established on earth as it is in heaven. We have blessings. We have justice. um, There are no more boundary disputes to worry about, right? We see that um, the evil beasts in this passage are banished, and that's, that's, we, we generally see that as a reference to the demonic forces. The evil beasts are banished. The land will be fruitful and safe. God's people will no longer be in danger from any of their enemies. 
What that means is that Rogation Tide is this reminder that God is in control both now and forever. The blessings we enjoy now are just tastes of the promises when our, that, that are to come when our final redemption is fulfilled. And conversely, there are a lot of folks right now that are not experiencing blessings. This is a very scary rogation tide for a lot of folks, even if they don't know what rogation tide is. And so conversely, when we're not experiencing those blessings, we're reminded that there are blessings to come, right? That God promises something better. So in the meantime, we do look to God with our rogations. We look to God with our prayers. And as the gospel says, we do so in Jesus' name, which means that we pray by Christ's authority and in union with Christ. And certainly this is is part of our birthright by virtue of our baptism. In our baptism, we're united to Christ. We die to sin and we're given new life instead. Well, today's New Testament lesson that that, that Chris just read, which is the traditional um, epistle for this Sunday from James chapter 1, that speaks to what it looks like to die to sin, to be dead to sin. So let's look at James 1, beginning at verse 22. You can find this also, what is that, page 176 in your prayer book. James 122, page 176. St. James writes, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So if you were watching our video from last week, um, because none of y'all were here last week, you may recall <laughs> that last week's epistle was from the passage in James 1 that immediately precedes this passage. And, and as I mentioned in the homily last week, once upon a time, they were one long reading. Uh, St. James said last week that um, God begat he us with the word of truth. So both today's reading and last week's reading point to God's word. So in both lessons, St. James points us to the Holy Scriptures. Last week, the emphasis was God's word as the cause of our new birth. This week's God's word is a mirror for our souls. So the Holy Spirit speaks through the scriptures, both for our salvation and for our justification. And I'm using salvation in that, in that sense where it's, where it's um, synonymous to our justification. I mean, you could talk about salvation bigger, which includes the sanctification. But, you know, we're talking about those, those coming into that relationship with the Lord, that union with Christ being our salvation, and then our sanctification growing in Christ. And God's word is used by the Holy Spirit in both of these, these, these cases. So both the salvation and the sanctification are necessary if we want God to be attentive to our prayers, if we want fruitful rogations. So we're told in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that it's impossible to please God without faith. You all remember that verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Sometimes otherwise well-meaning preachers and Bible teachers, and frankly, sometimes not so well-meaning preachers and Bible teachers, <laughs> will tell you that what this verse means is that we must really, really, really believe what we're asking for if we want God to give it to us. They'll tell us that faith requires particular feelings and um, speaking our desires into existence in Jesus' name with that full belief that, it's, that it will come true. That's how they'll tell you this verse means. But that's not what the author of Hebrews is talking about at all, contextually. That if you read the whole verse, the, the, the faith that he's talking about is belief that God is who he says he is. That God's saving promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So in other words, when, it, when the scripture says without faith it is impossible to please God, what it means that to truly please God, we must first and foremost be people united to Christ by faith and baptism. And because of the witness of the Holy Scriptures to Christ, we can indeed trust both the Scriptures and Christ, and we can indeed have that faith, that faith that does please God, that faith that brings us to our salvation. St. James, then, in our epistle today, tells us that we, if we expect to be blessed, if we expect our prayers to be fruitful, we must also be obedient to what we hear and read in scriptures. And indeed, St. James will go on to say that, if, that our faith must be proved by our good works. Otherwise, our faith is dead. Article 12 of the 39 Articles of Religion compares our obedience and good works to the fruit of a healthy tree. So just like in, in, you would see a healthy apple tree bearing apples, right? A tree that, an apple tree that does not bear apples is either sick or dead. And the same is true for our faith. A living faith, a lively faith, as our articles put it, is a faith that is marked by good works. It's marked by obedience to God's word. That's why St. James tells us today that the scriptures serve as a mirror for our souls. The scriptures shows us what pleases God. God's commandments tell us about him. God's commandments tell us what God is like. And when we see that perfect law of liberty, we see both what we should do and also where we fall short. The reason the scriptures are the perfect law of liberty is that we are truly set free when we submit ourselves to God's word. That may seem counterintuitive. After all, how can commandments or laws or rules be liberating? We think of commandments and laws and rules as shackles that hold us back. We think of them as the opposite of liberating. But that's not so if those commandments and laws are perfect. That's not so if those commandments and laws are a reflection of God's nature. That's not so if they're a reflection of what human nature is supposed to look like. One of the effects of sin is the corruption of our nature, our mortality, our, our death, our sickness, our inclination to evil, that war between the flesh and the spirit these things are not natural to mankind as God originally made us. Rather, they're the results of our humanity being corrupted by sin. These things are the results 
of the image of God, that image by, in which we were created, becoming marred. But God's law shows us what it looks like to be truly human. God's commandments show us how we're supposed to be. The thing about Christ's sinlessness is it was not due to his divine nature. Rather, Christ's sinlessness, his perfect obedience, is due to his perfect human nature. And if sin was, was, if sin was part of human nature, we talk about, oh, that's just human nature. That's just, I'm merely human. That's why I'm falling. If that were true, we could not say that Christ is truly man because he did not have that sin nature. It's not that Christ had a sin nature, he overcame it. That's not the case. It's not that Christ had the inclination and the, and the corruption of sin and he, and he obeyed himself out of it. That's not the case. Christ's humanity was not corrupted by sin. And when we have been given new birth, we are partakers of Christ's perfect humanity as well as his perfect divinity. And I, and I look forward to uh, uh, celebrating Holy Communion again when we can partake of that sacramentally. Now, of course, we all know that we still suffer the effects of sin's corruption on this side of eternity, right? The new man and the old man are constantly at war. But nevertheless, and this is really what St. James is driving home, we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God on our side fighting for us against the world, the flesh, and the devil, against sin. And as we practice lives of obedience to God and to his word, we do indeed increasingly grow into Christ's image. And by his grace, when we look into that mirror, we begin to see Jesus looking back at us. As we prayed in the collect, O Lord, from whom all good things do come, Grant to us, thy humble servants, that by thy holy inspiration we may think those things that are good, and by thy merciful guiding may perform the same through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we say these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm.